Hope you guys are having a great afternoon, evening, maybe even morning, depending on where you guys are at right now. But I just want to welcome you guys to the show. It's a blessing to have everybody that decided to come on here and join me today. It is a loaded episode. It will be the very first episode, which will feature two guests today. We have Day and Star, Duran Holmes II, joining me in about a few minutes, actually about four or five, six minutes or so. And then in the second hour, we'll have Penn State head coach Mike Rhodes joining me. Both of those, I'm very excited. I'm very thankful they both decided to come on with me today on the show. Now, with that being said, there's lots of stuff we're going to get in today. Lots of action across the MLB, the NFL, NBA, college basketball, all kinds of stuff we're going to address throughout this show. And so I'm very excited for it. And uh, I think you guys are going to enjoy the show as well. But with that being said, I do want to get into today's verse of the day, which is going to be Romans chapter 8, verse 31. And it reads this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now that verse means a lot to me because at the end of the day, we serve a God, or at least I serve a God that is far greater than anything we could fathom or imagine. He is capable of all things. He has ultimate authority, ultimate power. Nothing can separate us from him. His love is always going to be there for us. And to know the fact that the God, the creator of this universe, loves us to the extent that he sent his one and only son in Jesus Christ to come die on the cross for our sins, to break down the barriers of, of death and the, and the destruction that we deserve as people, to be able to be in the presence of him is incredible. Now, I do want to look at this a little bit deeper, though, because if God is for us, I know that David Guzik discussed this a little bit, a Christian commentator on the Bible, and when we talk about if God is for us, I know a lot of people might always think that, oh, God is for me, God is for me, God is for me. Well, we don't always necessarily know that. Just because you say that does not mean that he's necessarily for you. If you are brought into the, and if you truly believe in Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and Savior and He ha and you believe in that, then yes, God is for us. Then who can be against us? The fact of the matter is that we're going to go through trials and tribulations. There's going to be ups and downs in life. Just because you are a believer does not mean that life is going to be perfect and there will not be any issues that come up throughout our journeys and our walk with Christ. Therefore, though, we know that God is not going to leave us and that God is ultimately more powerful than that. We read in other scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that God is faithful and that there will never be a temptation greater than, than we can withstand. God is going to be there for us and that we're going to go through trials and tribulations, but ultimately it produces perseverance. It grows us to be able to understand, take on this world in a better light and be able to understand and get to have a fellowship with Jesus Christ. Nothing is better than that. And we can walk around in this journey, in this walk of faith and life, knowing that we have a God that is fighting for us, that's right by our side, that will not leave us nor forsake us, and that we can ultimately get through anything because he will be our rock, he will be our foundation, and that God is the answer to all things. He will be there for us, and we're ne there's never going to be something that we go through that we cannot take on if we live by Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That comes into application here as well, because we know that if the, if the blood of Jesus Christ is upon our lives, if the Holy Spirit fills us, that we can truly do all things through Christ who gives us strength. So that is today's verse of the day. Just going to repeat it one more time. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, in which it reads, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So that's the verse for today. And as I mentioned, we've got lots and lots of things that I want to get into today. And it's going to be a jam-packed episode. Like I mentioned, Deron Holmes II will be coming on the show in just a few minutes. We're going to get him added on right after the commercial break. Mike Rhodes, Penn State's new head coach, former VCU head coach, will be joining me in the second hour at about 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. Excited for both of those interviews. It's going to be a loaded show. We have got, we've got tons of big-time topics we're going to get into today as well. And it's going to be fun. Now, with that being said, I'm going to go on a little bit. Actually, no, let's get, I want to get, get into a couple of the headlines real quick first. Some of the headlines for today, or at least in the past week or so since the last time I was on the air. Some NFL news. Baker Mayfield named starting quarterback for the Buccaneers. I know that wasn't too shocking. We'll see how long it lasts. But yes, Baker Mayfield will be the starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season. Ravens 24-game preseason win, win streak has been snapped. Big-time game against the Commanders. That doesn't necessarily mean too much. I mean, it's preseason football. However, the streak is done. 24-game win streak is snapped. Another crazy fact is that Corey Davis, New York Jets wide receiver, former top 10 pick in the NFL draft, he announced his retirement. Still of young age, and, and Robert Salas talked about on Hard Knocks, I believe it was, that maybe he does come back someday. We don't know the facts, but that is what Corey Davis is, Corey Davis is doing. Chris Jones. He said he'll be willing to hold out until week eight for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'll be honest right now, I am in support of that. I think that a lot of guys need to get their money. He's already won his championships. We know the impact he has on the Kansas City Chiefs. 
pay him his money, and he'll show up. We know what he's capable of. He has already established himself as one of the best defenders in the league. And, and another aspect I think we need to address, a lot of players that are not quarterbacks in the NFL don't make much money following their careers. Now, obviously, they can go into different career outlets or whatever it might be. But when it comes to the NFL, they're not going to have many endorsements and stuff like that. There's a few. I think J.J. Watt will obviously be in the mix for that for a long time. But generally speaking, I don't know if that's going to be much money he's going to be able to pull in post-career. Therefore, it is critical to get as much money as you can up front right away. And so that I think is that's what I think Chris Jones is doing. Hopefully, the Kansas City Chiefs get that solved. They're obviously going in as my favorite to win the Super Bowl again. But if you don't have Chris Jones, things get a little bit shaky there. Obviously, you're talking about the second best pass rusher in all the NFL, not named. Aaron Donald. So that's for Chris Jones. Shohei Otani, UCL, UCL tear. He's not going to be pitching for the rest of the year. Still looks great while hitting, but we'll see how that goes. And, and the Angels, yeah, they have – yesterday was crazy. The Yankees released Josh Donaldson. Harrison Bader was also placed on waivers. Two players that have had great success. If Harrison Bader is still a good player today. Josh Donaldson was the 20, 2015 MVP. Both those guys, the Yankees, have cut ties with. The Angels dropped – a, almost a quarter of their roster yesterday after they went all in on the trade deadline they decided to back it up and not join anymore so that's interesting there the angels will see what happens i don't think shohei otani will stay but that's for that john jonathan taylor we talked about him last week he is not going to be traded at least for now he's gonna be put on the pup list not gonna play the first four weeks of the season another thing i do want to discuss real quickly it just came out this morning but this man right here eric lewis remember the scene last year we saw a lot of stuff go down. Eric Lewis, there was a burner account supposedly. And then we saw some other things that potentially he's a Celtics fan. And, and we know this viral clip right here of Patrick Beverly grabbing the camera, showing the foul of LeBron James. He's now retired this morning. So the NBA decided to end his investigation. He's retired. Seems a little fishy to me, but he's now no longer refing games. And it is a little interesting because we've had a lot of complaints about refs in times recently. It's interesting because now that he has been retired, we'll see what the NBA continues to do going forward with these refs. But this was a situation that unfolded and he's retired. I, I have to imagine there was some back talking there and he decided to move on, knew that he wasn't going to be coming back. We cannot have these type of guys in the league today. It's bad for the game. You can't have rigged refs. We can't have rigged games. So this famous moment by Patrick Beverly will live on forever. And that's that aspect. The final headline for today, Team USA moved to 3-0. They'll play Montenegro on Friday, September 1st at 4.40 a.m. Eastern Time. They look sharp. They played great. Destroyed Jordan. Blew them out of the waters yesterday or this, this morning, whatever you want to call it. That was a huge game. And USA looks incredible. So they're going to move on 3-0. They move on to the next round of the playoffs now that's starting for the World Cup. Tune in there. The team looks incredible. All the guys are playing the rotation. Anthony Edwards led the team this game. Reeves has played great. Paul has played great. The list goes on. Team USA looks great. But with that being said, that's today's headlines. We have a lot more topics I want to discuss and get into later in the show. I've got a very special guest joining me. He was originally planned to be the very first guy, and then we had tons of technical difficulties I discussed, and then he went out to Europe, got enjoyed that for a little bit. But finally, we get to have on the very first guy that's been a part of every single chapter of my short but still five-year career. He's done it from the audio versions. He's been on the IG Lives. He did commitment stuff. We've had him now on at this point, the very first person that's done all levels of it for the show. And you guys probably know him as one of the best players in all the country. He's going to be an NBA player in about 365 days or so, most likely. So he's a great player. But besides that, he's also one of the best people in all college basketball. He's a great guy, a humble guy, one of the most humble athletes you'll meet. And that's Duran Holmes II. So with that being said, I'm excited to be welcome on Duran Holmes. Duran, how you doing today, man? Pretty well. How are you? I appreciate you a lot. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you as well. So I mentioned in the intro, you just got back from a European trip where you guys got to go to Barcelona and Paris. You got to take us to that a little bit. Yeah, so that was amazing, man. So um, we had the opportunity to go out and see different sceneries and uh, compete over there. So it was like a great team bonding experience. You know, we got to play against some good teams and then we got to try new food and see new culture. So it was fun overall. That was your, probably your first time in Europe, I'm guessing, right? My first time in Europe, yeah. So what would you say was your favorite aspect and was there any part that you'd say was something you did not necessarily enjoy? 
my favorite aspect i would just say is seeing the scenery uh i would personally like spain a lot um in cooking with the team we cooked paella that was amazing um personally also like what i didn't enjoy uh i don't really know if there's anything i didn't enjoy uh i really don't know everything was fun well, this team has some guys returning. Obviously, Malachi is their guy you've played a few couple years with now. He's a great player. Both the Kobe's are back as well. But there's still a lot of changes going on this team. Obviously, Tamani, a great player, is now in the NBA. Mike transferred out a few other things have occurred. You guys brought in new guys. Just to get in the core, I know not everybody was playing yet, but just to kind of get a sense of a feel playing with these guys, what's your thoughts on the team so far? How much were you enjoying just playing with these guys now? The team is doing very well right now. You know, it's mm -hmm. a whole new look for the most part, besides a couple of us returners. Malachi and Kobe are getting back pretty soon. Um, they're both looking good in their progression. But for the most part, the team's looking very solid. Um, I like the team a lot. I think we get along very well. Our team chemistry has gone up through the roof. So we're going to be surprising a lot of heads this year. Now, I've, when I was researching some extra stuff, I didn't necessarily know this nickname until a little bit ago, but you are nicknamed Deuce. Can you take us to that nickname a little bit? Like, where did that start? How'd you get that nickname? So I first had that when I was like a little kid when I was in Tennessee before I moved to Arizona. When I moved, <laughs> nobody in Arizona called me that. So um, it's just when I came out here to Dayton, Ohio, uh, my dad told the coaches I was my original nickname. So mm. it got around campus, and that's what I'm called around here. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to get into your career because the last time that you were on the show was right before you commit. And obviously, then I released after you announced your commitment. But you went to Dane, and now you're a couple years into this journey now. Take us through this a little bit now. When you reflect back on your time at Dane, has it been everything you were expecting that you wanted? Would you say it's been a successful tenure so far? Or what's kind of your thoughts on your career so far, Dane? Honestly, it's been amazing. Um, mm -hmm. We have a great coaching. Um, we have great athletes here in the student body here. Is, they always come to support all the games. You know, so the development piece has been amazing. I feel like I've grown as a player and I've evolved my game and just seeing my teammates as well, like evolve as well. So I think all those things combined, it's been um, exactly what I was told when I was getting recruited there. And I really like, I really enjoy it a lot here. So I want to go into your freshman year a little bit. Your first year out there, you came out and, and you were a top recruit coming in. A lot of people knew you, a lot of people were excited for you, and you didn't disappoint. You broke the Dane record for blocks in your freshman season with 81. Walk us through that first year at Dane a little bit. That first year was, it was a lot of adversity, but um, we ended up finishing out pretty strong, you know, so um, it was me, Mally, Lynn, and Caleb originally. Um, Lynn ended up transferring. Um, mm -hmm. These are all the freshmen that came in, and like, it's a whole new team as well, so you know, coach kind of just threw us in the fire with the game. So the games came, we're literally playing a lot of minutes as freshmen, you know, mm -hmm. so our first couple of games, we got smacked pretty, pretty, uh, pretty hard. So we played Lipscomb. I remember they torched us pretty, pretty badly. Um, but then we picked it up when we went to that tournament in Orlando, we beat Kansas um, off mm -hmm. the buzzer beater. My friend stopped and hit it. So um, after that, we just grew as a team. Tamani did a great job of leading us and showing us how things are supposed to be done, you know, and ever since then, we've been following the same morals. So let's get into Tamani a little bit because he was a great player. You two were a dynamic duo down low. He's now where you've lived for a long time now. He's out in the Valley. So just based on that right there, what's the biggest advice, the biggest helpful point you could give Tamani right now as he gets adjusted to living in your original, your home state that you grew up in? Oh, I just told him to stay away from outside if it's the summer. But I told him not to be outside too long because it's very hot. And that's the first thing he told me when you went down there. So mm -hmm. it's it's very cool to see him down there. He's going to enjoy it a lot, and he's going to do very good down there as well. So I'm very happy for him. We're all excited for him. So I was like playing with him because you two really were a dynamic duo in the A-10. You guys were doing your thing for quite some time. What would you say was – what was it like just playing alongside him? It was great. You know, he did all the things that – Nobody else wanted to really do on the court. So mm. you know, all the little things at an elite level. Now, sometimes it can go unnoticed because it's a requirement. And he just did it so great that, like, sometimes people didn't really see it. And he has an all-around game. So all those mm. things combined, like, he's just a very, very elite all-around player. Like, playing with him was very eye-opening because there was sometimes I'm, we're all on the court like, wow, he's just, you know, he's doing it all. So that was great to be able to play with him. When you talk about his game, he's going to the Phoenix Suns, obviously a contender for the first time in quite some time, obviously. Now, they had the expectation to potentially win a championship. 
what are the Suns? What can they expect from him as he goes in there as a rookie in the NBA? What should the Suns and the NBA be able to expect from Chimani? They're gonna. Um, I think they can already see it, but they're gonna um, have a great defender. You know, he is a lead on defense. He'll guard any position. You know, um, he's very versatile. You know, he's got an outside game now, and he's very uh, aggressive, and he knows how to use his body. So. He's a very physical athlete, um, great defender, and great shooter. So they're going to see that at first, and then it's just going to skyrocket from there. All right, so I've got to get into your NBA draft process because it was a unique time span. That probably from, what, March, mid-March, whatever, to June. There was a lot of stuff, and I know you like to keep things a little bit quiet, so not a lot of people obviously knew about some of the stuff going on at that point in time. But I was trying to stay off of social media a little bit when I was kind of get ready, getting ready to the show to get going and all that. But I'd usually check in, especially during the transfer portal time, about a couple of times a week, whatnot. And there was one time I know that I logged in and Duran was trending on Twitter. And I was like, okay, well, that, is this the Duran, the guy that I know, or is this another guy? And it was you. And obviously there was all kinds of, let's just say, blue bloods out there, that fan bases that were obviously wanting Duran Holmes. And you weren't in the portal yet or anything like that. But you got to walk us through that a little bit. You in your inner circle, you guys just talking with your family and whoever it might be. When you were hearing those rumors, was, was that ever something you were considering? Like, did you ever look at potentially going to the portal, testing that out? Because I know any school probably would want you if you obviously went in the portal. But did that ever cross your mind? Or just what was going through your mind during those couple of months? It was a lot going through my mind during those couple of months. Like, I really didn't even know, like, that I would see some stuff on out on uh, social media. And I, I didn't even know about it. So, um <laughs> I don't really know fully too much about all the stuff that was going on, but um, it was just eye-opening, honestly. It was just a lot. So when you log in, you see your name trending, and you see all these fan bases saying, oh, we're going to go after Deron Holmes. And at this point, you're going to the NBA draft process, and you're still a day in. Like, what just goes through your mind at those points and times? Yeah, like, at that time, I was, like, I'm at, when I was in the draft, I was focused on, you know, what I need to learn throughout mm-hmm. that process and what I need to, you know, listen to to get better you know mm-hmm. um that was hope my whole focus at the time so you know um i just knew dayton's home you know this yeah. is a home uh, for me and um i just love it here and i trust the coaching staff and the players here and they do a great job of building character and building the right type of players so i really couldn't ask for anything else you obviously know your situation better than anyone else does and from my perspective i obviously had you guy as a guy that could have been drafted this year you decided to come back to Dayton, though. So walk us through that decision. Like, was that something that you knew that you probably would have been drafted had you stayed in the draft and you just wanted to either rise your star, wanted to come back to Dayton for a year? Or what led to that ultimate decision of saying, you know what, I'm going to come back to Dayton and run it back one more time at least? Well, honestly, you know, like, the good thing is that, like, I've had coaches. Uh, I, have, I have a coach that – and some coaches that have um, been – uh, in that level of the NBA. So they'll honestly give me honest feedback. And then I also heard honest feedback. Yeah, I felt like I could have possibly got drafted um, somewhere in the second round, probably late. But mm-hmm. I feel like staying one more year can help benefit me and show my full value to uh, teams, like show what I can really do. So, and the great thing is I have coaches here that are going to, you know, help showcase that. And my teammates are going to help me out with everything as well. So it's a good mixture of every all that type of stuff that, Help me decide to come back later into the season, and more so, I guess, like early portal season time around March, just what March, whatever, early April. Coach Anthony Grant, there was some rumors, obviously, that he might step away, retire, whatever it might be. He obviously decides to come back at least for another year now. How big was that for you, just to know that okay, I have Coach Grant coming back. He's gonna be my coach if I return at that point in time. How big was that for you? So it was funny uh, that you actually said that because, like, like I was saying earlier, how I didn't really know too much about the stuff on social media. It was the same with him. Like, we didn't know that uh, he well, he told us like I asked him like, Coach, are you you leaving? And he told me he was like, I don't even, I didn't know I was leaving. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And, like, he didn't even know what was going on either. So it was kind of like you know he knew he was coming back. So it, mm. I wasn't too focused on him uh, leaving. I knew he wasn't. Leaving. So basically you're saying there's just some people out there making stuff up and you were always going to come back to Dane and Coach Anthony Grant was always going to come back to Dane for this next year at least? Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know <laughs> where this stuff comes from, but that's just how it is, you know. Now, I know last season had to be an up and down year because when we talk about you guys, you guys head into the season of the top 25 ranked team, a lot of expectations for you guys. And ultimately it was one of those situations where I know a lot of people would say probably it was a disappointing year and it probably was a little bit, but there's – and I know not a lot of athletes like using excuses, but at the same time, injuries, 
were present on that team last year. You guys had Malachi who missed the majority of the season. Kobe missed a lot of the year. Lots of ups and downs. Can you take us through that a little bit? What was last season like dealing with the ups and downs of injuries, kind of just trying to battle through one game having this guy, one guy not having this guy, just the ups and downs last year? Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy um, because most of our injured players were all of our guards for the most part. So um, we were very shorthanded. So we had mm-hmm. to you know, slow down a lot of things. So it was a lot different. It was a new uh, form of adversity that to look at. Um, but we ended up figuring um, it out for the most part, you know, mm-hmm. um, it was just it was very different if I could explain it like that. Just a shift uh, with all the injuries we had. At one point, we had I think the tallest lineup in the nation all around, yeah. um, <laughs> from point guard to to um, to center. So it was very funny, but I enjoyed it. It was it was fun. It was fun. Like, but I'm glad everybody's back now. Honestly, mm-hmm. uh, we're better always at full strength. So it just kind of was a bummer that we had injuries last year, especially the key pieces that were injured. So um, now hopefully this year, I'm praying that we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> so I've just got to ask that so when you are in the situation and you're trying to go through a season, be positive, win games, and you know that, okay, you're having this tall lineup. You might not have a true point guard in the lineup that can help you get the ball. Cause obviously I, for you and Tamani, especially having guards are pretty critical to get you guys involved and get you in the right position and places. How do you stay positive throughout the course of a season like that? You just got to look at the positives, you know, um, like, for instance, last year, we still had a, a, a every it's like the next man up mentality. So we sure. still had guys that were willing to step up and embrace their new role, you know. So mm-hmm. if it comes to a point where somebody that's not used to playing a certain position has to step up and do it, they should know what to do. You know, if you pay attention in practice and you listen to the little details, then you should know what to do. So it's always next man up. So that's our focus and that's our mental towards that type of stuff. Now, I just got to ask you, though, I mean, if, we never will know the answer to this, but let's say you guys didn't have injuries, at least any major inj- injuries like you guys had last year, and you guys had the full-on lineup of everyone playing. Do you guys think you guys could have made a deep tournament run, or how good do you think that team could oh. have been? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think we would have e- – I'm not going to say easily, uh, but I, confidently I really think we would have made a deep tournament run just mm-hmm. because, like, when you have a full roster, full strength, like, and you have, like, an injury – it can mess up like a lot of things. It's yeah. not just the fact that they're out the, you know, the game. It changes so much like, the, tra- the trajectory of the whole team. So um, I definitely do. And, you know, I think that we're going to be great this year, especially because uh, all of our guys are going to be healthy. I'm just mm-hmm. putting it out there. I feel like well, all of our guys are going to be in a good spot. So we'll be perfectly fine. So for you this upcoming season, you head into the year as someone that I believe will be an All-American type player this year, potentially first, might be the best player. I mean, you might be the best, at least player prospect. I know college and NBA games are a lot different because we'll have some guys that just dominate the college type of game and, and might not pan on the NBA-wise. You're a guy that I think is one of those guys that have a chance of not only dominating the college game, but also being a true legitimate NBA prospect as well. So you head into this season. I've already seen somebody. I think Dick Vitale made his preseason All-American year on that. I'm sure there's others as well. Do you feel that there's a sense of a little bit more pressure, more attention, spotlight on you now as you head into this year as a guy that most regards one of the best players in the country? Um, you know, there's always a pressure out there. But, you know, now that it's my third year and um, I'm more used to things and, you know, I'm more like a veteran now, um, mm-hmm. I understand what's happening now. It's, I think they call it consciously competent, like, I know what I'm supposed to do. So it's just about executing it and literally just doing it. So um, I appreciate it a lot. So, yeah, my goal is to just focus day by day and get better day by day. And it's always a blessing to be on those lists, you know, because it shows the hard work I put in the past. But my whole motto is just to keep moving forward, you know, and um, we got to win games. So it definitely is pressure. Um, It's not easy. The task isn't easy. But the main thing is to just keep going forward and do what you do, you know. So what's your mindset going in? I mean, I know most athletes always say, you know, I'm the best player on the court. I always have, you have to have that mindset to compete. For you though, when you know that not only do you probably think that you're the best player on the court when you step on, but also the coaches and game plans gonna be set against you knowing that you are one of the best players. How do you take that on? Like when you step on the court, how do you take on the role knowing that people are gonna game plan for you, people plan to play against you and knowing that you are one of not the best players? Yeah, so like my coach would tell me, all that stuff, that's just expected. You know, that's what's expected. So it's like a requirement, you know, um, it's a requirement that I have to go out there and 
um, do what I do every game. And, you know, I should be able to expect certain teams are going to come with some type of game plan, uh, whether it's against me, one of my teammates. But I'm pretty sure for the most part I'm going to see certain things against different teams. So, you know, it's just expected, you know. What's that? So one of the guys that we talked a lot about when you originally commit today and was obviously Obi Toppin. He was one of the best players, one of the best player in day in history, had a great career, became a top five pick. And that was a guy that at that point in time when you were committing, going through the recruiting process, was appealing. And you talked about that when we did our other interview. Now that you head into this special year three, knowing that you have a chance to possibly break some OB records, you have a chance to be up there when become one of not the best players in day in history. What is that like to see the way that Coach Grant's developed you and potentially taking on this role, becoming one of not the best players in day in history now? It's all in the details, you know, um, like they did with Obi. They, um, he went through a very similar situation. He locked in, he listened, he bought in, and mm. he is where he is today, you know, not only because of himself, but because of his guidance that he had while he was here at university, you know, and um, the role models that were in front of him, like Coach Grant and all the other coaches that we have. So my goal is to follow the same footsteps and um, just show, like, the culture that's here, you know, and help build so then whoever comes through next, you know, um, goes through the same, you know, steps. So. Um, mm -hmm. that's my whole goal is to just, you know, just be a doer, somebody who's going to go out there and execute and do it, you know? So do you have any type of relationship with Obi as he come back to the program at times when you've been able to work out with him some or what's your guys relationship like if you guys have one? We do. Yeah. I talk to him every now and then. Uh, I've okay. seen him. He comes down to dating every now and then to check back in and everything with the team and he'll give everybody pointers and stuff. So he's a very cool person. So uh, it's great to see him when I do. What would you say is the biggest piece of advice that he's given you that throughout your time talking with him? Um, he kind of told me like what Coach Grant said, like uh, when you're out there on the court, you have to know certain things are expected from you, you know, and that's just a requirement. That's the baseline level. So you have to make sure you're just doing this, that it shouldn't be like a question. You know, you have to dominate. So that was probably the best advice he's given me. I want to go in a little bit deeper into Coach Grant because he is a great coach. He's one of the more respected just men in college basketball as well. Take us through your guys' relationship a little bit. Um, very good. And he has a great relationship with all of his players. You know, he's a, a player's coach. He's always going to be there for his players. If there's something mentally going wrong or anything like that, you can always go and talk to him about anything. You know, that's, a, mm -hmm. I think, one of the greatest qualities, not only with Coach Grant, but with the rest of our coaching staff. And coach Grant's very humble you know, and very wise. So you can learn a lot from him in just like two seconds. So yeah, he's a great person. So what's the biggest thing you've learned from him then? <laughs> You're probably not going to get this, but he just, some, he'll tell me to just look in the mirror. And then mm. it, it, it's, <laughs> it's an insight. He's good though. He's, uh, I've learned a lot. He's gave me books to read and everything. So um, yeah, yeah. But my biggest thing I've learned is he told me to like look in the mirror, you know, so. Uh, so he says a little bit of backstory behind that. What's that then? Yeah, so I <laughs> it's like who who are you gonna be? It's basically like who who are you choosing to be? You know, so like look at yourself like who are you choosing to be? Like who are you? You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So it's like a confident thing, like um he's just trying to help me, you know, understand like what I can become, you know, and uh to use my uh God given uh, abilities to the greatest I can. <laughs> NIL has had a big impact on college basketball, and you've been able to embrace a lot of it. And we see different posts from you. We've got the Range Rover picture you've posted. you got the least Famous, Recipe Chicken, H&R Block. You've got all these different NIL aspects. What's it been like just being able to embrace this new college scheme with all the different NIL opportunities you now have? It's a blessing, honestly, because, like, there's, like, so many different, like, NILs, but only some, like, um, NILs, like – I don't do all the deals that like are offered, honestly. Mm. Um, but for the most part, I like the ones that have a purpose behind them. Which, like, one of them that I'm doing right now is called Learn to Earn, and it's helping out, you know, kids uh, with academics uh, and helping them like get their minds right, you know. And I love the ones like, for instance, the car deal I have, and mm. it just shows like if you're gonna work hard, um, you know, then you could end up doing this. So my whole goal is to show that hey, like, you know. We have people in the community that are here to support the basketball team, whether it's like Lee's Chicken or the car or Learn to Earn. There's so many more I can go down the line with. You know, so that's the whole goal I'm trying to put out with NIL. It's not really fully just about the money part, 
Um, mm-hmm. It's more about representing the businesses and being a good role model for the uh, kids looking up to. Me. So you said you haven't taken all of them then. So what is the criteria for someone to land their own homes as an NIL partner? What are you looking for? Like it, you know, for the most part, it is just, it doesn't have to be something like quick cash. I'm not too mm-hmm. much concerned about, you know, just quick cash. You know, it's, it's more about like, Hey, like, you know, if it's a, some, some of them are like, Hey, it's your image going out there. So it's like, I'm putting my face out there to represent a restaurant. I like the, I like those a lot, you know, mm-hmm. um, to show that, you know, uh, our teams represent, or I'm representing the restaurant, not our team, my bad. Or like, for instance, with the car, you know, showing that, Hey, like, um, for recruits looking in, you know, if you work hard and you do what you're supposed to do, you know, um, we have people in the community giving you, they'll be able to um, work, work that out with you. Or like I have one with this group called Condor Kids Academy, you know, and um, the whole goal is to help kids in need and help kids that um, don't have uh, what every other kid had growing up and show mm-hmm. them, you know, hey, like you guys are going to be okay, like work hard every day. So that's my whole model with all that type of stuff. That's huge because I know a lot of guys would probably take the quick cash route, as you mentioned, but what's led you to say, and I'm not too surprised knowing you, but what has led you to say, you know what, it's not just about the money. I'm not just going to go take this deal because they're going to offer me this amount of money as quickly. What is about you kind of said, you know what, I just wanted to go for, go for things that I can represent that have a good stance in, in this world, that have something that's going to make an impact. Like right. what's made you kind of have the mentality of saying, you know, I'm not just going to go for the money. It's going to be something that has a bigger purpose than just that. Right. Um, honestly, it's just how I was raised and that's just yeah. how, you know, uh, my family is and that's how like I, I just look at it, you know, and there are some where, you know, it's um, like, you know, uh, like quick. There have been some like that, but for the most part, I'm, that's not really what I've always been looking for. You know, it's mainly to, you know, show, hey, like me go to the restaurant and see community of uh, people from the community in there and show them, hey, I support this restaurant or like, you know, like I was saying with the kids in need or, you know, with the car and um, like showing people in the community off like the, uh, the car and everything. So it's all about that type of stuff for me. Well, I want to get into your family a little bit, especially Cam, because now he's kind of in a situation of where I first got to know you at. He's going into his high school career and he's been in there and now he's the top 26 ranked, top 25 ranked player. I think he's number 23 on ESPN. I know we're still early on the process for him, but he's coming up now and he's becoming the next Holmes name that's becoming big in the state of Arizona and the country now. What's like seeing him grow into who he's become? It's crazy. He gets taller every time I go back and see him, but um, he's a great player. He works very hard, so it's always great to see him, honestly. So when you talk about you two now, you go back to the time where he's at now in his high school career. Which one of you two do you think is better? Well, that's a good question. Um, I honestly think I, I'll break it down like this. Mm-hmm. I think offensively he would get me. I think mm. the game is evolving. Kids are getting better at a younger age. Right now we could go and we're seeing kindergartners go in between the legs, dunking the ball now. So <laughs> the game's just changing, evolving. That's just how it is. I think I had him on the defensive end, but mm-hmm. I think he he probably would have got me on the offensive end. Though. So I think it would even out a little bit. He might not say the same thing, but <laughs> that's what I think for right now. Uh, but now you do have an age difference of quite a couple years now. So I'm sure you guys have had to play some one-on-one games. I know you're just uh, back yeah, out in he, Arizona a little bit ago. Really How do those go? Uh, we haven't played one-on-one really. He's he wouldn't get. He's not gonna. He's not caught up to me yet. Not yet. <laughs> he's got a couple more years. <laughs> <When> he gets older. All right. <laughs> uh, so what if you guys go and play one-on-one? What's the score going to be if you guys go into eleven? I don't know. I'm competitive, so I'm gonna try not to let him score at all. <laughs> I'll give him. I'm gonna give him four. I'm gonna say eleven to four. That's probably how I end up. Now I was trying to do the math, and I know you got the COVID year and whatnot, but ultimately you have the NBA dreams too. So I don't think it even would work out anyways to play in college together. So your best chance would be to play in the NBA, and and I know that's something yeah. that you're likely gonna have the opportunity to do. Can't still obviously many years out, but yeah. obviously at this point in time, he is one of the top players in his class. What would it be like if that day ever came where you guys got to play with each other on an NBA court? Would that be with each other or against each other? That that'd be amazing. Honestly, mm-hmm. that'd be that'd be that'd be a big thing, big deal for our family, big deal for the Arizona community. So um, that's definitely one of the I think family goals we have is to be able to do that and get that out there. So he's going to be able to start getting recruited, I think, in a year or so now, and I'm sure there has to be some option that Dane would probably be interested in him to some extent. Yes. And so you're going to be an alumni or at least a current player, whatever it might be at that point. 
how do you balance difference between saying, you know, I want the best place for Cam, and maybe that is Dame, but we don't know obviously yet, but either him choosing the right place, but also you saying, you know, well, I would like you to continue my legacy a little bit here, and let's create the Holmes name out here at Dane. Right. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to push for him to go to Dayton. You know? <laughs> I know everybody, you know how people are like, hey, well, we'll do what's best for him and all that. I think this is best for him. I'm just doing it right. <laughs> I want him here. But, you know, honestly, wherever he ends up, I'm going to support him because that's my brother, you know, so, mm. um, but – you know, I, I love him, and um, I, he's going to be great regardless of wherever he ends up. I, I definitely am going to push for him to come out here on an official visit and everything, and I think mm -hmm. he'll really love it out here. So. All right, so we're going to go all the way back now. And I was reading a story about how you originally fell in love with basketball. I did not know this until I found this, but apparently your mom was coaching, I believe, in the YMCA when you were really little. Take us that a little bit. Like, what, what caused your love for basketball, and how did that start? Um, honestly, like you were saying, my mom started coaching me at a very young age uh, in the YMCA leagues. I was just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, playing and shooting the ball, you know. So that was very fun. When I went to, went to middle school, just um, we had like when I was in Nashville, it was fifth through eighth grade. So uh, I got to see like I was a fifth grader getting to see like how all the other guys play. And it was just always competitive. I was the manager my fifth and sixth grade year. Um, then I moved to Arizona after that. So, and then that's when I just really fell in love with it. So when did you feel that it clicked for you that, that you're a guy that not only is going to be at, well, maybe it was in high school that you're a top guy in high school or maybe a college, or you could be an NBA player. When did you feel that, okay, I know this is something that I'm going to make my career off of. I can go to the NBA or at least play professionally. When did that first start settling into your mind? I would say later years in high school. So probably like around my sophomore to junior year, I felt like, Hey, I actually got a chance at this. And, yeah. Luckily, like, you know, my friend Wyatt Bell back in Arizona, he introduced me to Von Compton. Um, mm -hmm. He really helped me with my early childhood development in basketball and, and skills and everything. So uh, shout out to him to start out. And then I met my high school coach who taught me hard work and everything. And um, he brought me that brought me such a long way. And now I'm here and I'm learning the mental part of the game. So I think all those things put together is going to really help me out. You just mentioned the mental part of the game, and that is a huge aspect, possibly even more than some people would say than the actual skill aspect, just to have that mentality aspect. How have you grown mentally? How, how have you grown through your college career in that aspect? Really just reading the game. Um, mm. In terms of on the court, yeah, I would say reading the game, understanding what to do and what not to do um, in certain situations, you know, um, how to guard certain people, how to score on certain people. And then, you know, um, just being able to stay locked in every day. Um, with the choices I make off the court, you know, that's part, that's part of your mental as well, you know, so whether it's making sure I wake up one time um, or like eat at this time, eat at this time, you know, do this at certain times. So everything's just like, you know, um, mentally, like trying to be stable every, with everything. So I know that you and I have talked about it before, but in terms of on the show, we haven't gotten into it. And that's the fact that when you were in high school, your senior year, when we did our interview, you were at Montverde at that point in time. And you obviously went with them for a little bit, and then you made the move out to back to Arizona to play with AZ Compass. And there was a little bit of an interesting, to say the least, story that ended up occurring because this Compass team with you, Tata Washington, great team, went out to Geico. You weren't allowed to end up playing in that. So can you take us to that a little bit? Like what all exactly ended up happening at that point in time? Yeah, so um, I, they said it's because I transferred after the certain deadline. And the whole mm -hmm. stir up was because I heard a couple years before that they had a player that did play after the deadline when he did transfer. Um, but the whole committee of the um, Geico, uh, the guy who runs it, I think is, uh, uh, I think they call it the headmaster or something like that mm -hmm. of Montverde. So they're obviously not going to let me play. You know, that's just, they're not, they're definitely not. And I know I wasn't supposed to uh, apparently, but yeah. um, that's just how that went. So, you know, I feel like if I would have played in that game, we would have won. But, you know, it's no hard feelings. Just got to move on from it. It was a great experience. You know, we still got a chance to play him before that um, down in Montverde, and we lost in overtime. So I, that's why I was really feeling like that. If we they let me play in Geico, we would have won. So yeah. it's sad that it ended out like that. But, you know, things happen for a reason. All right, so I want to get into this upcoming season now. You head into year three, as we mentioned. We know that, that for you, you have dunked more than just about anyone else in the country during the past two years. We know what you're capable on the defensive end. Probably, if not, the, I think you are the best defensive player in the country heading into the next season. When you head into this year, I think the one aspect that people look at is saying, okay, we haven't seen much shooting from the three-point range, shooting too far outside. Now, you have dominated while not doing that, obviously, at the college level. But 
is expanding your range to a three-point shot? I know you have the capabilities of still doing that. Is this something that you plan to bring to the game more? Is that something you're working on? Do you plan on displaying that this season? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, that's something that I've been working on all summer. That's something that, you know, is now more natural for me. So, okay. yeah, that's something that will definitely be seen this next year a lot more consistently. So when you look at it, do you think we could expect more of just being a stretch five? I know as the NBA would probably say yeah. more so. Or could we even see him running more of the four potentially, being a guy that really is a stretched out, can use the ball at the perimeter, go attack the room from the outside out, from the inside, from the outside in? It could be a mixture of all, honestly. You know, okay. um, I'm not going to just jack up threes, obviously. Sure. But it will be a part, you know, where a part of my game that I add that, you know, can be used as a weapon against other teams where they want to sag down low and you have that shot. And hitting it consistently, now you really got to think. And if they step out, it's a blow-by. So um, it's definitely something that I've added, and um, I'm very excited to be able to use it um, in the games coming up. So when you go look at last season, there was an A-10 player of the year, and obviously a lot of people thought Duran probably could have been it. Still was a great deserving job by Ace as well, but does that motivate you at all heading into next season now, knowing that, you know what, I believe I am probably should have won the award last year, that heading into this year I want to be the A-10 player of the year? Yeah, so like I said uh, earlier, with everything being expected, like I, I feel like just every game I'm a dominate, and you know, yeah. the re the story, the rest of the story will tell itself. You know, I I definitely feel like um, I'm gonna get that this year. Um, we we have the best team in the conference, so um, I'm just excited to be able to share that memory with them at the end of the season. So my goal is, whole goal is to just to win games and you know lock in from there, and then the rest will take care of itself. So you mentioned the best team in the A10. I think that's probably accurate. But how about the whole country? Because this is a team that, like I said, they have, you guys have one of the best players in the entire country in yourself. I think Malachi is probably one of the more underrated guards in the country. And the list goes on. Lots of other great players. How great can this team be this upcoming season? This team is going to be a, a very great team this season. We're going to surprise a lot of heads. You know, I always put this team over anybody. So yeah. um, I'm just ready to go to war with them, honestly. So there's a little bit of a streak heading over, hanging over your guys' head. You guys haven't made the tournament since 2017. Now, granted... There also was a team that probably would have been a number one seed, if not for COVID. So, I mean, yeah. I think it's kind of skipping a big thing there. We all know that that team could have maybe even won a national championship. However, though, the streak still is since 2017. Is this the year that, that streak gets snapped? It is the year that streak gets snapped. I definitely I definitely believe so. Absolutely. Well, for me, a few more things before I let you go, man. You look at just overall what you want to experience the next year. We know on the core and all, but like, what do you want to fully grasp? Because there's a chance, I think probably a highly likely chance that this might be your final year before you head off to the NBA. What all do you want to take in experience in this year? I just want to win, keep continue to win. Um, and I just want to continue to be a role model for not only like my teammates, but also for, you know, other kids looking up. So I just want to be able to make it to Mars Madness, you know, um, win and um, take care of what I need to take care of off the court as well, you know, and just do everything consistently and uh, efficiently. That's my whole goal. And it's not going to be easy, but, you know, it's poss It's definitely um, capable, and we're going to be able to do it. So what do you have in your mind? Because when we talk about the NBA potential, is that something that you kind of have on your mind where you say, you know what, this is probably going to be or possibly going to be my last year here, and I want to go to the NBA next year? How do you – Kind of, what's your mindset heading into that decision in about what eight months from now, whatever it is? Yeah, so I just feel like if we take care of everything we need to take care of, then all that stuff would be, you know, I'm not gonna say a piece of cake, but I feel like all that stuff would be there, you know. So it's mm -hmm. not gonna be going anywhere, and I know like I'm gonna be perfectly fine, you know. Yeah. I feel like if I have the right the tools right in front of me, now I gotta do is execute and do it, you know, and then everything else will be right there. Absolutely, man. Well, Duran, I appreciate you taking time to come on today, man. As you know, you're always welcome on. And truly, it was a blessing having you on here once again, bro. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Of course, man. You're always welcome on, man. God bless. God bless. First and foremost, there's a few different things we're going to get into. Big headline topics, one of which is a very controversial take right now. For those of you that know, I do love international competition, whether that be the World Cup for basketball, Olympics, whatever it might be. And over the past 10, 15 days, whatever it might be, where the World Athletics Championship, all the different track and field events were going down. And one major star emerged from this event. The very first person to get a three-peat, win all three events, the 100, the 200 meter, and the four-man, four-by-100 relay. That man is Noah Lyles. He had an absolutely fantastic 
10-day span where he won three gold medals. Sensational. Now, after the third one, he came out with this big, bold statement. Now, let me read this so I don't mess any of the words up. And this is what he said out loud and on his podium. I have to watch the NBA Finals, and they have world champion on their heads. World champion of what? The United States? Don't get me wrong. I love the U.S. at times, but that ain't the world. We are the world. We have almost every country out here fighting and thriving and putting on a flag to show that they are represented. There ain't no flags in the NBA. All right. So with that being said, I know a lot of people look at that and say, well, what could he, how is that true? Is is that really the case? I know a lot of people look at that and say they're wrong. He's wrong. He can't say that it's not right. The NBA is the world champion. The NBA is the best league in all of America and all the world. I should say they have the players from all around the world. Correct. However, when you win an NBA championship, you, you aren't the world champion. You are the National Basketball Association champion. Now, are you the best team in the NBA? Yes. Was the Denver, are, are the Denver Nuggets the best team in the NBA at that point in time in history when they won the championship? Absolutely. No, no doubt about that. Were the Golden State Warriors NBA champions and the best team in the world when they won? Yes. As was Milwaukee Bucks when they won, so on and so forth. But are you world champions? The answer is no. As Noah Lyles pointed out, and it's true, and it really is not that big of a deal. I cannot believe that this was this controversial. Now, I will say this. Out of everything that Noah Lyles could have discussed when he won the the three gold medals, does it make sense to necessarily go and, and say this? Probably not. But since he said it, let's get into it. My take is this. When you win an NBA championship, an NFL championship, when you win the World Series in, in baseball and the list goes on and on, you are the best team in the best league in the world. So yes, you are the best team, but you're not a world champion. A world champion involves you competing against the entire world. Last time I checked, the NBA only has two countries represented, both in the same continent. The NFL is, is no different, except they don't have a team in another continent, another country. It's one country on one continent. Now, I'm not going to say at all that any team in any other country would ever beat any of these teams. These are the best of the best but they're not world champions. It is not the United States versus Germany. It is not the United States versus, versus any country in Africa, any country in Europe, any country, Russia, whatever the case may be. It's not that. It's different. It, you are a world champion. When you win a gold medal, you are a world champion because you're competing against everyone across the world. It is plain and simple. That is the fact of the matter. And there really does not need to be much of a debate whatsoever in regards to this statement because the fact of the matter is that when you win a gold medal, in one of these events, you are a world champion. It's the World Athletics Championship. The world. It's in the name of the world. It should not be that confusing. As I mentioned, NBA players don't need to get hurt by it because you are the best team in the NBA when you win a championship in the world. There's no debate about that. But you still didn't beat anyone else in the world. You didn't play anyone in the Euro League. You didn't play anyone in, the, in, in, in any of the other leagues. Any any league across the country, then there's tons of them. You, were, you didn't play any of them. Now, if you were to go win a World Cup in basketball, which is happening right now, you are the world champion then. If you do it in the Olympics next year, you are the world champion. And that is the fact of the matter. And, and we noticed something. I saw someone actually point this. I'm not going to take credit that I'm the one that said this, but a lot of the players that are from other countries have nothing to say about this. In fact, the only things I have seen is in support of it. Evan Fournier made a statement saying that no one allows is correct. The fact of the matter is that you're not world champions by winning a World Series, by winning the NBA Finals, by winning the Super Bowl. You are the best team in the world, but you are not a world champion. So yes, Noah Lyles is correct. Now, another side note, though, let me just say this. We have a superstar in track and field in running once again. We have not had a superstar since Usain Bolt that has graced the, 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 the worldwide stage and placed the way and run the way that he has. Now, he, has not, he did not break Usain Bolt's record, but the, the, the way that Noah Lyles capturates a crowd, the way that he makes controversy, the way that he has energy, the way that he comes out of the tunnel and, and walks out to his spot and, and gets ready to run, the, the energy, the vibe, the, the way that he carries himself and plays. And I know it upsets some people. He is not the most humble guy in the world, but that sells tickets. That, that brings eyes to the sport. And there has not been this much of a captivating player persona in track and field since Usain Bolt. Shakara Richardson is very special as well, and she she deserves a lot of credit for that as well. But since we're talking about Noah Law, that's where I'm going to go at right now. He is special. A superstar was officially born this past week when he won three gold medals. We have not seen this only a handful of times in history, but we have not seen it since Usain Bolt did it in 2015, if I'm not mistaken. 
He is officially a box office household name person and athlete in the world. And we're going to get ready for the Olympics next year. And when he wins the three-peat once again in the Olympics, most likely, hey, I'm just saying we have a superstar once again running. And I think Shakara Richardson deserves the very same thing. She did incredible, incredible this past week as well. She got two gold medals in a bronze, if I'm not mistaken. But Noah Lyles, he is spectacular. The way he just carries himself, the, the branding, the name, the image, the, the, the persona that he has is what you need to draw eyes on. And I'll say this was the most entertaining championship, world athletic championship we could watch. It was fantastic. It was incredible. Noah Lyles is a superstar. He is here to stay for quite some time. He is the next face of track and field for men, at least. It was spectacular to watch. All right, a couple of things I want to get into now is the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know what the heck is going on right now. I mean, what is going on with the Arizona Cardinals? We now have this morning, this extra added on. Steve Wilkes, I believe it was, came out and just released that when Steve Kime was suspended for the DUI, that they had a burner phone that he was using now, and, and he – He's going after him for that. I, I don't know. Long story. I didn't have time to read the whole exact thing. But that's basically the gist of it. I don't know the exact details, but that's what's happening. Now, Steve Kime's long gone. Now, he's he's out of the league. But just the moves they're making, I, 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 can't, I don't get it. Because so many people are saying right now the Arizona Cardinals are purposely tanking for likely be it Caleb Williams or Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr., but I don't think that that's necessarily the case. In fact, I'm looking at this team. And I'm confused. I don't know what is going on with the Arizona Cardinals because at the end of the day, this team does have talent. We have seen far worse talented teams than them. Now look at the quarterback position. I know there's no Kyler Murray at the time, and you've got Joshua Dobbs and and Toon going at it right now. But Kyler Murray might come back maybe this season. I don't know. But you have Buda Baker, one of the best safeties in all the league. You have D.J. Humphreys, not a bad left tackle whatsoever. You have James Conner, he's not a bad running back. The receiving corpse is not horrendous. Rondale Moore is a, a fast receiver. You have a third-round pick and, and Wilson out there. You've got Hollywood Brown. You have Zach Urge, Trey McBride. You've got guys on the defensive end, Zayvon Collins, a first-round pick. You've got Marco Wilson, Antonio Hamilton. Jalen Thompson is, is legit as well. Kaiser White. There is talent, and, and I'm not saying this team's horrible they're not good whatsoever but to say that the worst team ever is a little bit a little bit of exaggeration if you ask me um i don't think they're that bad whatsoever but the move that they make it doesn't make sense like if this was a tanking team and you want to go get caleb williams or somebody why do you have this much talent now we now maybe by the trade deadline this will be answered for us but we see you trade isaiah simmons to the giants okay trade him for a seventh now don't get me wrong has the top 10 pick investment in Isaiah Simmons proven to be worth it yet? No. Is he better than a seventh round pick? Absolutely. He still has potential. I think the Giants got an absolute steal. Well done to the New York Giants in that front office. Incredible fleets the Cardinals there. Seventh round pick? You're telling me you couldn't get better than a seventh round pick. There is guys that are going to be rotational, end of the bench type guys that are getting traded for seventh round picks. You're telling me you couldn't get a fifth round pick at the bare minimum? Or at least a sixth is just going to go higher than seventh. That blew my mind. Then you go out and trade Josh Jones to the Texans. All right, fine, depth, but he still was decent and young. Colt McCoy gets cut. Joshua Dobbs, you then do a trade for him, which doesn't make any sense to me. You could have kept Colt McCoy and then gone with the rookie tune. But you trade picks for Joshua Dobbs. So I don't know. For a little bit, I was like, okay, this team is going to go get tons of draft picks. Now the tanking begins. And then they go and trade draft picks for a quarterback. It's going to be a one-year rental. That's whatever. That's what I'm saying. I don't even know what the Cardinals are doing right now. But, hey, they've got draft picks, I guess. They've got a team that is not going to be very good, but there's still some talent there. Now, if they truly decide to tank and blow it all up, they can get a lot of picks for different assets and players on that roster. And also, I'd be a little bit intrigued to see what they do because if Kyle Murray comes back and you believe that he can be a franchise quarterback, which I believe he can be, I'm not saying he's no Patrick Mahomes or any of the top echelons of players, but is Kyle Murray capable of being a legitimate quarterback in the NFL? I believe so. There's no reason he can't win a Super Bowl. If you have the right pieces around in the right situation, the right coaching, sure, why not? He can win a Super Bowl. So if you believe that, you could use those top picks of your pick, the Texans, and all the other draft picks to draft a guy like Marvin Harrison Jr. Get yourself a cornerback or a pass rusher. Solidify the line a little bit more. Whatever it might be. Get that prime wide receiver. Like I said, Marvin Harrison Jr., which I think would be the best pick for them. Do that, but if not, obviously you could fall right into Caleb Williams, and then you have to move Kyler Murray, and we'll see what kind of package they could get there. That's what I got to say about the Arizona Cardinals. I think it's a mess. 
I don't know if Jonathan Gannon's even going to last over the year, but we'll see what happens with the Cardinals. Other topic, the 49ers finally cut ties with Trey Lance, and they trade him out for a fourth-round pick to the Dallas Cowboys. Now I like this. I like this a lot, and here's why. From the giant, from, from the 49ers standpoint, you have a front office that says, "Lo, we nailed the draft pick of Brock Purdy. Mr. Relevant, we nailed that draft pick. He's our guy. And if not, we brought in a guy in Sam Donald who looks good in preseason. We'll finally have the best weapons and the best coaching staff that he has had in his entire career. And he has got talent. So we've got two options right now. Trey Lance, we don't know what to do with him. He has not panned out and he was not the best pick. But a lot of front offices, this is their mindset. And I get it because you have to have confidence in yourself as a GM or a coach or whoever you might be making these draft picks is that you don't want to get rid of Trey Lance. You want to be proven that you were correct, you made the right move, and you got yourself your franchise quarterback. The fact of the matter is that Trey Lance is not the franchise quarterback of the 49ers. He was not going to be. The opportunity was gone when Brock Purdy emerged. When you signed Sam Darnold, it just wasn't going to happen unless he just went through over and above and, and outplayed all those guys. So what you do as the 49ers is you cut ties and say, you know what, we screwed up. We maybe made the worst trade in NFL history. But we got maybe the best draft pick in NFL history in Brock Purdy, and we got a low-budget, low-risk, high-reward signing in Sam Darnold for our team. And so you bring in this team, and you've got a quarterback room of those two guys. I like that a lot. And so you say, Trey Lance, all right, we'll, we'll right our wrongs. We're going to get rid of you. We'll ship you out. And you get a fourth-round pick. Not too bad for a top pick. Unlike the Cardinals who got a seventh-round pick, you get a fourth. Not too bad, actually, recovering. And they've been an excellent in drafting guys in the mid-rounds, late rounds, and filling out this roster. So that's probably going to be a decent pick, let's be honest. And so the Dallas Cowboys. So what do we do with this situation? Well, we got Dak Prescott, who's looking at an extension potentially in the future. And you bring in Dak Prescott, and he's the guy. Trey Lance is not taking a spot this year, probably not even next year. But you got a guy that Trey Lance can finally truly learn from. Remember, Jimmy G, good player, not a bad mentorship, not a bad mentor whatsoever. But there's a lot of stuff going on with Jimmy G. He obviously had the ups and downs of the contract issue last year, then was hurt. So it wasn't really like, I feel like, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know the inside scoop here, but I'm not sure if there was much of a truly mentorship role where Trey Lance, I think, was had the mindset of, I'm going to start and be the guy I'm taking your job. This is a situation where Trey Lance goes in and he knows, he knows he's not taking Dak Prescott's job this year. So he gets to truly sit back, learn, grow, work on his skill, and hopefully be healthy all year long now and grow. And we'll see what the Dallas Cowboys have next year. The problem most likely bearing injury Next time we truly get to see Trey Lance will be in the preseason next year and whatnot. But hey, fourth round pick for potentially a guy that you could see maybe, just maybe, be your franchise quarterback down the road. Not too bad. Maybe that happens. I don't know. But I do not mind that pick at all for the Dallas Cowboys. Solid backup. Now, you know, you got Cooper Rush in there. Solid trio. Solid, solid quarterback room, without a doubt. So that's what you got out there. I like that trade a lot. 49ers right the wrong. They move on. It is what it is. Bad trade. Let's go get, let's move it on. You get a fourth round pick to recuperate, whatever. That's done. Let's move forward. Dallas Cowboys say, yo, we get a backup quarterback now. I got that could potentially be the future of our, of our program. This is a big move for the Dallas Cowboys. Solid move, I should say. Not necessarily big, but could be a big in the future, but solid. Not a, probably a little medium, 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 little medium risk in terms of getting a guy with a fourth round draft pick. And you get a guy that could potentially be your franchise quarterback one day. I like that move a lot for both sides. Very high in that trade. Final big topic I want to get into before we go on a break and we get Mike Rhodes, Penn State's new head coach, up on in here is the James Harden situation. Now, here's what I want to say about the James Harden situation. It intrigues me a lot because it... it it pulls me in two different aspects. One aspect is this. As a guy that does like to follow my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and follow more rights and what the Bible says, I believe that if you promise something morally and, and, and to live like Jesus, you should fulfill that promise. You should not lie. It's insane. In fact, that's obviously a sin. You need, to with, with, you need to do what you were called to do and be honest and truthful and, and follow through with your word. All right. That would be a perfect world. If that occurs, James Harden must be happy. I don't know what the heck James Harden is talking about in terms of what exactly Daryl Morey did to him. But anyways, James Harden has this situation, this dilemma where he wants out of Philadelphia. He does not ever want to play for Daryl Morey. And he made that quite clear in that announcement or whatever you want to call it out there during his China trip, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he said he's not going to play for Daryl Morey's team ever again. All right. So you're in the situation now where James Harden comes in and, and, and he wants Daryl Moore to be truthful. Well, let's look at the other side of the fact of the matter. And James has been in the league long enough where he probably should know that Daryl Morey 
that the game is a business and that would I, outside of my promise I made to this man, is James Harden worth a Supermax or Max contract for multiple years at this point in his career? Probably not. And Darren Morey knows that. And therefore, Darren Morey is saying, well, shoot, James Harden gave me this. I ain't going to pay him that. I'm going to keep my job and do the best of my ability. Therefore, he is not going to pay James Harden that money. It worked out well for him. And I know James can be hurt because that is not right to do from a moral standpoint. But at the same time, I'm surprised that James was not well aware of that and decided to make a move saying, you know what? Last year, you can't trust the guy's word. This is a business. He's not contractually bound to make sure that you he gives you this contract in the future. While he promises it, and it, it is wrong, it, it's just a whole train. It, it, it's all kind of chaos that... From a moral standpoint, it's not right. From a business standpoint, I think James should have known that. So I see where the tensions are built. I don't think they're ever going to play again together. It's going to be very interesting. The next few months heading into training camp and the start of the NBA season will indeed be very interesting to see. But we'll see what happens because then James Harden got fined $100,000 by the NBA because of his statement he made. And then the NBA Player Association files a grievance and gets involved in that aspect. And so I don't know, this is a whole massive stuff going on right now, but that's what we're saying with the James Harden situation. I don't know if a trade is going to happen. I don't know if the package is going to come together. I don't know if he's going to be in Philadelphia or not. Who knows what's going to happen? It's a messy, messy, messy situation. Um, crazy that we find James Harden in this situation again. For so long, we thought of him as a loyal guy staying in Houston, doing his thing for so long. And now we have the Brooklyn thing. Now we got the Philadelphia thing. And if we go back, it, it was a rightful thing, but obviously the Thunder thing leaving there as well. So that's where we're saying with that. I'm not sure where it's going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But that is what we've got in regards to the James Harden situation. I mentioned the headlines to begin the show. It's the Chris Jones situation. And I want to elaborate a little bit more on that stance and that situation because I know that for a lot of people, we talk about Chris Jones and the Kansas City Chiefs and, and what's going on there. He's obviously holding out, he says, until week eight, potentially if he doesn't get the contract he wants. So he's not going to play for potentially the first eight weeks of the season, which is just about halfway through the season. A lot of people might look at that and, and, and be upset. Not a good team player, risking a lot of situations and things going on in Kansas City. However, my stance on that is that I'm, I'm fully supportive of it, and here's why. At the end of the day, from his perspective, he already is a two-time Super Bowl winner. He already has become one of the best defensive players of this generation. He's almost locked in to go to the Hall of Fame one day. All that's left for him to really do is make that money. And him taking continual, continual breaks in the money just does not make much sense. So I know from the Kansas City Chiefs aspect, yeah, you should probably pay him. You have three really, truly, I mean, the line yes is there as well, but three core, core guys, obviously Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and, and Chris Jones leads your defense. If I was the Kansas City Chiefs, I would be making sure that I pay Chris Jones because he's one of those core foundational, one of the best of the best players. And I think when you look at it, and this Tyreek Hill situation, I still think that was one of the best ways that anything could ever work out for two parties in that Tyreek Hill and, and, and Miami Dolphins and Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs situation. When we go back a year ago, we all knew Tyreek Hill was special. We all knew Patrick Mahomes was special. But what we did not know, or at least was not quite familiar with yet, was how good could Patrick Mahomes be without one of not the best receivers in all football? And at the same time, how good is Tyreek Hill if he doesn't have the best quarterback in the NFL, throwing him the ball. But we see Tyreek Hill go to Miami. They still win a lot of games, at least when they were healthy. Tyreek Hill puts up his career best season, produces at the level of debatably the best receiver in all of football last year, and he does just great things with Tua Tagovailoa as his quarterback. Well, as Patrick Mahomes, you eliminate the great weapon that Tyreek Hill was, and he still wins the Super Bowl and wins MVP and has debatably his best season. So it worked out for both parties. So if you're Chris Jones, you're looking at this like, well, I've already done my part. I know where I'm going to go. I can't really achieve too much more in the game of football. Obviously, only more sacks and whatnot, but I've achieved whatever it wants. I got my rings. I got two of them, actually. I already am a, a, a corner piece, a foundation of the Kansas City Chiefs. All I need is money at this point. And, of course, keep winning more and more Super Bowls and whatnot, but we're talking about getting generational wealth. And he has the potential to do, to do that. And I, and I like to ask a lot of people. A lot of people say, well, take the $10 million pay cut. Take whatever you want. Would you do that? Would you do that? And, and I ask that because I don't think it's, it's not a very wise business decision. Let's be honest here. If, if you were offered $30 million or $20 million, which job are you taking? I think we all know what that answer would be. 
Now, maybe if you love a situation so much, you might be willing to sacrifice a couple million. But $10 million, I don't think too many of us would ever consider doing that financial burden that we'd have to take on by not taking on that $10 million. Nobody would do that. And I think sports is the only world that we really look at and say, this sport is where these guys need to sacrifice all this money so the team can be successful and this, that, and the third. And, and I see where you're coming from. But the fact of the matter is, why not just get that money now? For Patrick Mahomes, people say, well, he is taking pay cuts. Yes. He is an incredible team player. He and Tom Brady both master this philosophy of let's not get paid as much money. But let me ask you this. How many commercials do you see Patrick Mahomes in? Do you think we're going to see Patrick Mahomes post-NFL career? Probably. Patrick Mahomes is in countless commercials. He's probably one of not the most endorsed athletes in all of America. And those endorsements are not going to stop when he retires. That money will be coming in even larger. That, the, the endorsement money that Patrick Mahomes makes is, is, is quite significant, and that is going to continue to impact how much money per season he is making. While on the other hand, when he retires, he's going to have opportunities such as Tom Brady has to set a record, set, to have to sign a record-setting deal to go and broadcast or, or talk games or be on a show, whatever it might be. He will also still have commercials bringing in money. Chris Jones likely will not have that opportunity presented to him, nor does he have it currently. He does not have many commercial endorsements. He's not bringing that much money. So while Patrick Mahomes on paper in the NFL is taking a massive pay cut, that is true. He is bringing in tons of money endorsement-wise and will continue to do that throughout the remainder of his life, most likely. Chris Jones, that's not the case. Chris Jones, what he's getting right now is pretty close to what he's actually earning in total. He's not getting much endorsement money. And when he retires, likely he's not going to be making too much more money either. The only position that you can pretty much guarantee will make money if you're very, very good is, is, is a quarterback. Wide receiver, that's say two and corners possibly, but really just takes unique personalities outside of that. There's not many defensive players that can last that long with a personality. There are some, don't get me mistaken, but I'm not sure if that's going to be Chris Jones. Therefore, if you're Chris Jones, you've achieved everything that you could possibly want as an NFL player. It's all right there. And on top of that, you just need that money. So if you could go somewhere and be still somewhat successful, be on a playoff team, do your thing and get them sacks and do all that while making generational money, getting that $30 million that he's looking for, I think. I would do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And nor should I think that Kansas City Chiefs fans should be upset that much. Kansas City, in fact, should be the ones paying Chris Jones because he deserves that. Now, that's what I have to believe is, is the big topic when it comes to Chris Jones. And I do believe that while there's going to be a lot of different ups and downs that go on with the situation, hopefully he becomes a, a Kansas City Chief and remains there for the season. I think that if he does, obviously that's going to be huge for the Chiefs. They have a chance at going deep into the playoffs, potentially going back-to-back -back again. That would be spectacular. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs need to pay their best defensive player and one of the cornerstones of that entire team. That's what my take is on that. And, and so I 100% agree where everyone's coming from on those. But I think at the end of the day, Chris Jones needs to go get his money and hopefully the Chiefs pay him and that situation gets settled. I want to make sure we wrap up with the verse of the day once again that for today, and that is Romans chapter 8, verse 31, which reads this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? As I mentioned in the beginning, that is something that I think is critical for any believer, anyone to know that at the end of the day, you've got the God, the creator of the universe on our sides fighting for us and that there is nothing that we go through that he is not in power of, that he is not in control of, that he doesn't have ultimate authority and he will always be for us and never against us. So Nothing that we go with will ever be greater or more powerful than him and his ultimate authority and power. So I appreciate each and every single one of you guys for joining me once again today. I hope you guys have a very blessed remainder of Wednesday. We will be back tomorrow. Now, I know that things can change, but as of right now, we do have now what would be the very first double interview episode. Hopefully that goes down tomorrow. We got two very special guests. I will be announcing that tomorrow before the show begins. It's going to be two college stars joining me tomorrow, one from Michigan State, most likely, and one from Kansas State. It's going to be a big-time show, so I'll, I'll, I'll put those two clues out there for now. But I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great rest of your evening. May God bless you guys all, and I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. All right, shoes out. God bless you guys.